series looking at the life of Moses. The reason we're looking at the life of Moses is twofold. One, uh, I received a lot of very positive comments on the life of Joseph, so thank you for that. Uh, so I thought I would continue on another character series, and also because it logically follows. Uh, the life of Moses is uh, the next significant uh, character in the biblical order of things as we look at Joseph, and then we come to to Moses. I am going to be focusing more on Moses' life. We certainly aren't going to be doing the entire book of Exodus. That's not my my goal, or the book of Deuteronomy, or any of the other books of the Pentateuch, but rather focusing in particular on the life of Moses as a person. Just waiting for all the handouts to be distributed. Okay. Introduction. One can best understand Exodus by viewing it as a chapter in a book, namely the Pentateuch, rather than a book in its own right. Exodus is not to be read in isolation from the surrounding material in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, of course, being the first five books of the Bible. Rather, it describes one stage of Israel's story that began with creation in Genesis 1 and ends with the Israelites poised at the borders of Canaan at the end of Deuteronomy. Exodus continues the story begun in Genesis. God chose a people for himself and brought them down to Egypt. Their presence there is an outworking of God's presence with the patriarchs. It is not a product of chance. This insight will soon prove to be most valuable to the Israelites. And I have here that creation language runs throughout the book of Exodus. God will deliver the Israelites from bondage by unleashing the forces of creation against the Egyptians. In fact, that's a large reason for the uh, plagues that come. Uh, they reveal the God of creation and how he is different than the gods that the Children of Israel, uh, excuse me, that the uh, children of Egypt served. But again, I'm not going to be looking at all the plagues and all the details as we go through, but focusing on the person and character of Moses. So the theme is we're to see and be encouraged by God's sovereign care for his people despite the hostility of the world. So we begin by looking at the reason for Pharaoh's hostility against the children of Israel. And that is that he, that is Pharaoh, had no historical perspective regarding the blessing that the children of Israel had been to the nation. Exodus 1.8 Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. At the end of Genesis, we come to the conclusion with the death of Joseph. Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off and now deals with this king who arose and did not know Joseph. Now keep in mind that about 300 years have transpired from the death of Joseph to this particular occasion 
in which this king arises. And it says that he did not know Joseph. This verse may mean that the new Pharaoh was totally ignorant of his own nation's history, or more likely, that he simply chose to act in a total disregard for all the benefits that had come to the nation as a result of Joseph and Joseph's God. You may wonder how that would happen, but think about our own nation. We are approximately 250 years old, uh, 50 years less than the time that transpired from Joseph's death to the arising of this particular pharaoh. And if you think about the changes that have taken place in our country in those 250 years. And one of those changes that has taken place is that many people have lost sight of the benefit of our Christian heritage. People have forgotten in this country what the Puritans brought to the table, how important Christianity was. We have a tendency to forget that the very founding of public education was a product of the Puritans because they had a supreme desire that everybody would know how to read. And guess why they were concerned that everybody would know how to read? Because they wanted them to be able to read the Bible. They wanted them to be able to, to know and understand the Word of God. So as you think about public education, we have lost sight of its, of its Christian moorings and the purpose that uh, the Puritans had in mind for, for Christian education. That's just one. You think of our um, medical system uh, and realize that, that many of the early medical facilities were a product of the Christian faith, just as in foreign nations. You think of the third world. So many of the uh, clinics that have been started uh, are started as a result of, of missionaries being present and wanting to meet the needs of people. So too in the history of our country. And uh, there was a tendency to uh, name hospitals with Christian kinds of names. And even in our own community, we have Good Samaritan Hospital. That has a spiritual connotation to it. Uh, we have lost sight of some of these foundational things. Certainly in the land of Egypt that had transpired. Secondly, he viewed the children of Israel as a threat to the kingdom. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and in the event of war, they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us. Now, what was the basis of this fear? Number one, because Egypt had some important and powerful enemies at the time. They had just gone through a period in which they were under the domination of the Hittites, and they finally got out from under their control. Secondly, because the children of Israel outnumbered them, that is the Egyptians, in the land of Goshen. And you may wonder, how in the world could that ever come to pass? How could the... Uh, Egyptians become a minority in their own land? Well, there's a number of reasons. Exodus 1-7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. First, they had large families. They were fruitful. 
Secondly, they grew in numbers, increased abundantly. They became very powerful, became exceedingly mighty. And they occupied a large concentrated area within Egypt, and the land was filled with them. And in particular, the land of Goshen is what is being referred to. Remember that the Egyptians had been deported from the land of Goshen in the time of Joseph. Joseph had depopulated the area of Israelites and brought his family in, and, excuse me, depopulated the area of Egyptians and brought his family in. And so in the land of, of Goshen, there was a strong concentration of Israelites. Again, you think about our country, you think about our European founding, uh, and yet uh, we are told by census figures that uh, it's expected by the year 2025 that the largest segment of our population is going to be Hispanic. That the Hispanics are not going to be a minority, but actually be the majority group of people in our country. You can see how a transformation could take place. So there is an incredible blessing that God has poured out upon the family of Joseph that that they were able to to, uh, arise to such power and to such numbers in this 300 year period. But you see, the reason that these Israelites became hated, if you will, is because there was a concern that their freedoms, that is the Egyptians' freedoms would be lost, that the Israelites would fight against Egypt in a time of battle. And one of the reasons, among many, but one of the reasons in our country that Christianity is uh, finding itself more and more in disfavor is because society at large is afraid of the church, afraid of losing their freedoms, afraid of what is going to happen if Christians have more and more power. Are their freedoms going to be lost, Uh, such as the practice of homosexuality, as we think of of many other things, such as uh, abortion rights, quote-unquote, if Christians come into authority, how might this America look far different than it looks today? We may say it would look better. But there are other people that would look at that and say, wow, I'm going to lose my freedom. I'm not going to be able to do the things that I'm able to do now and be viewed as negative. Well, that's where things were with Israel. The Egyptians looked upon them negatively, saw them as a threat to their freedom to their well-being, and they forgot about their heritage and how helpful the Israelites had been to them. Secondly, the manifestation of Pharaoh's unavailing hostility and opposition toward the children of Israel. Pharaoh's hostility and opposition was manifested by trying to limit the growth of the Israelites by putting them to forced labor. Exodus 1, 10, 11. Come on, let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also under enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. 
And so they were put to forced labor with the idea that if they are having to work hard, that is going to be any de- a deterrent for them to have children. And that deterrent would come for a number of reasons. First of all, do they want their children to be brought up in an oppressed society? Uh, do they want their children to be slaves? Well, who wants their children to be slaves? That would be a reason not to uh, have a large family. All of a sudden, they are going to have economic uh, difficulties. They're going to be slaves. They, they move from a place of prosperity to a place now where they are dependent upon the Egyptians for food uh, in a time in which economic pressures are tough. There's a tendency to have small families. You think about the history of our country. Uh, There was a time in which large families were very common. Uh, Part of that was uh, that we had an agricultural society, and it was important for farm families to be large uh, so that there would be opportunity for uh, the children to work on the farm. It was viewed as a positive. Now in our society, more often than not, children are viewed negatively, especially when it comes to economics, that the more mouths you have to feed, the less money there is to go around. You've got to, put, you've got to clothe them. You've got to feed them. Uh, then there's the whole issue of sending them off to college and all these kind of things. And so families get smaller and smaller in times in which there are economic uh, difficulties. That was the plan of Pharaoh. However, Pharaoh's plan was to no avail. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. That seems incongruous, but it's a part of the way in which God worked. So the more difficult it was, the more children they actually had. This caused an even greater hostility against the children of Israel. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. We're going to see that there are a number of ironies in these early chapters of this narration. And the irony is that everything that Pharaoh tries to do to thwart the growth of the Israelites backfires. And here, trying to treat them ruthlessly so they have smaller families, and in fact, they have even larger families. B. Pharaoh's hostility and opposition was manifested by trying to limit the growth of the Israelites by conspiring with the midwives to have all the male Hebrew children killed. Exodus 115, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipporah and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Observation, this was not a formal edict, but rather a private threat. In other words, this wasn't a law that was passed in Egypt at this time. Rather, it was intimidation on the part of Pharaoh, who actually calls these women into his presence and says, look, this is what I want you to do. When these Hebrew wives give birth, if it's a male child, I want you to kill it. And if it's a female child, I want you to keep it alive. This proved also to be of no avail. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. 
see. Pharaoh's hostility and opposition was manifested by trying to limit the growth of the Israelites by a formal edict that required the Egyptians to kill the Hebrew male children. So when the private intimidation didn't work, then he makes it public. Then he is so emboldened that he knows that it will be acceptable in his kingdom to simply declare that no Hebrew male child shall live. And now it becomes the responsibility not only of the midwife and not only of the Hebrew mothers and fathers, but notice the underlying part in Exodus 1 and 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. It's not just the midwives and it's not just the Hebrews, it's to the Egyptians. Because remember, at this point, they're slaves under the control of the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh says to the Egyptians, no male child shall live. Keep that in mind as we work through this. Next. God's sovereign care over the children of Israel. God's care over the midwives. God preserved the lives of the midwives. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. For some reason, Pharaoh let this lame excuse go unpunished. That was the grace of God. Uh, Everybody knew that wasn't true, uh, including Pharaoh. But he says, okay, and, and lets them go. Well, that's, that's the grace of God in this narrative, how God is preserving his people. Secondly, God prospered the lives of the midwives. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. How ironic. This meant even more male children are being born among the Hebrews. Because the reason they're midwives is because they're barren. And now, God even allows the midwives to bear children. Presumably male and female. So this is all not working out in Pharaoh's favor. And God was pleased with the faith of the midwives. And because the midwives feared God. Then we have God's care over the general populace of Israel. But the midwives feared God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. So here we find out that uh, God is preserving the male children among the Israelites. Four, God's sovereign care over his people is illustrated in the life of one particular Hebrew family. So again, like Joseph, in this narrative, we're going to see two parallel emphases. One is what God is doing with the nation of Israel as a whole. And then you zero in on what God is doing in Moses' life. And then you zoom back in, panor in a panoramic view again and see how what is taking place in the life of Moses is a microcosm of what's taking place 
in many lives in the land of Egypt. So that God is at work in the big picture and in the small picture. Just like we saw with Joseph. That that God was at work in Joseph's family and God was at work in the world. So too in this narrative about, about Moses. So now we zero in on one particular family. And that, of course, is the family to which Moses is born. Exodus 2.1 Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. God's care for Moses by providing him a loving mother. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now the edict was that these children were to be thrown into the Nile River. She couldn't bring herself to do that. She wasn't going to do that. She wasn't going to take the life of her own child. You can imagine the inner turmoil that must have taken place in her life in which she's trying desperately to hide this child for for three months and then it becomes impossible to hide the child any longer and, and now she has to do what Pharaoh demands of her except that she's not going to go all the way. She's not going to throw this baby into the Nile and be responsible for taking his life but she's going to try to preserve it for a period of time. She goes to the uh, extent of making this wicker, wicker basket. She puts tar on it, in a pitch so that it will float and places it in the uh, reeds along the side of the Nile and assumingly departs. Uh, a tragic time in her life. But God's grace to this family and the preservation of Moses' life. Big, God's care for Moses' sister. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And I say evidently Moses' mother had departed by this time because uh, the child was going to have to go get the mother. Next, God's care for Moses' mother. First, God moves in the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. She knew. She knew that Moses was one of these children that were under the ban. One of these children that her own father had commanded should be put to death. And remember, this is now an edict in Egypt that everyone is to follow. If you don't see the hand of a sovereign God at this point, to to realize that she's willing to break the law, that she's willing to go against her father, and, and you've got to keep in mind the way things were at that particular time. 
that, that women didn't have the right. You, you read the book of Esther. And she couldn't even come as the wife of Artaxerxes. She couldn't come into his presence without him allowing her to. It's not like a child of a president today. I mean, to think that this child, this, this daughter of Pharaoh, would go against her father is just incredible. And not only is she going against her father, but she's going against her culture. Remember that they hate him. That they hate the children of, of Israel. And she's going to bring this child into the palace. It wasn't politically correct by any means. But by the grace of God, she has pity on this child. Secondly, Moses' sister acted very wisely. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And then three, again the irony, here's the, I just love this story. Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to care for her own child. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. So, not only is the life of the child preserved, but the family is going to be paid off. And they are going to be actually become richer through this whole process. Uh, if God can't turn things around, uh, here is a story that says he, he can. And then God's care for Moses. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That's what Moses means. Taken out of the water. Five. The irony of God's sovereign care and the position of Pharaoh. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Hey, here we have Pharaoh's edict violated by his own daughter. They, now Pharaoh will be harboring a Hebrew child in his own home. Think about that for a moment. This Pharaoh who has commanded that the midwives kill any Hebrew child, this Pharaoh who's passed an edict for all Egyptians that they're not to allow any male Hebrew child to live, ends up with a Hebrew child under his own nose, adopted by his own daughter, and is going to be treated as a son, not as a slave. Which means that he's going to be in line to become a pharaoh. How can you explain anything like that apart from a sovereign God? It is laughable. See, Pharaoh had had to have known the story behind Moses' deliverance. For it says she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. She is even proud of the fact that she delivered this child. 
And every time little Moses is running around, and every time they call him, it's a reminder to Pharaoh where this child came from. It's, it's like, in your eye, Dad, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That's the beginning of Moses' life. And that's the beginning of God working. I shouldn't say beginning, it's the continuation of God's working His sovereign plan. And when Romans says that He raises Pharaoh up, and He can turn Pharaoh's heart in any way that He so desires, you certainly can see the reality of that. There is no earthly explanation as to why Pharaoh allows Moses to live in his palace and have the standing of a son to be next in command in the land of Egypt. Can you imagine what Pharaoh would have had to have dealt with by all his officers, by all of the regents under his authority to try to explain how he can require this of everybody else and not require it of himself. And the whole country is afraid of what it's going to mean if these Israel children get more power and he's willing to make him the next pharaoh. Just, just unbelievable. And yet, it's true. God can change the heart of an individual. Anybody you're ready to give up on, just remember the story of Pharaoh. Remember the story of Saul, who becomes a Paul. Realize that God's sovereignty can overcome any law, any president, any dictator, any decree made on the entire face of this earth. Our God reigns supreme. That's the story of the Exodus. So, conclusion. First, here we see God at work in the nation and the world. God has a purpose for the nation and the world, and it's all going to be worked out in the life of Moses. Secondly, God is at work in this particular Hebrew family. God is at work in this particular Hebrew family. Then, and then thirdly, God is it not only at work in this particular Hebrew family, but God is at work in all the Hebrew families. If we go back to page 4, under letter B, Exodus one seventeen, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. We know one story, the story of Moses, born of a mother that was a, of the tribe of Levi 
and a father. There was a tribe of Levi. But there were many, many stories that could have been told. Moses was not the only life that was spared. His was spared in a unique way. He had a great story. Uh, it, was, it was marvelous. It was a product of God's sovereignty. But it was not atypical. It was not unusual. In the sovereignty of God, he spared the lives of many Hebrew male children. They all would have had a story to tell. They all could have spoken of what unusual circumstance had occurred that allowed their child to live. There were many occasions for giving thanks and praise to God. So as you look at this one family and we focus in on that family, don't lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is doing in all of these families. And then a bigger picture, what God is doing in Egypt. And then a bigger picture, what God is doing in the world. Moses is one example of God's grace and sovereign care for his people. We need to rejoice because our sovereign God is watching over us. And no one, no one can can overcome his power and his hand. There is no force on this earth, no dominion, no power that can thwart the plan of God. That's the great message of Easter. No one was able to take Jesus' life from it. He laid it down. And no power could keep him in the grave. He came forth. The great comfort that you and I have in our lives is that there is a God who watches over us, who is more powerful than our boss, our neighbor, some crazy lunatic gunman, any law that would pass. Our God watches over us. We need to give him thanks and praise. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for this wonderful preservation in the life of Moses. And truly, we do marvel. What a narrative, God, of what you have done. How you have prepared Moses. How you spared Moses. And how you overcame the power of a mighty Pharaoh overcame not only in the power of his kingdom, but even in the power of his family and even in the power of his own heart that he was willing to allow this Hebrew child to live and be his son when he had purposed to kill every male Hebrew child. Oh God, we take great comfort and give you great praise for the way in which you rule over the hearts of men. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.